0: Philippians, in your Bibles, please, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, enjoy that song we just sang. Of course, the prayer goes, um, said in such a way where we want God to know that we love him, and of course, remembering Jesus' words from this morning, how does The Lord interpret our love for him or how does how do we communicate our love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you tell me? What was that? You got it right. By obeying him, by obeying his words, that's how we communicate our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, by obeying him. And that's not me making that up. Uh, That is God saying that to you and to me. So we want to communicate our love for the Lord. We do that best by um, obeying him, obeying what we know. Here in Philippians chapter 4, there's a story that's told about a pilot. And uh, sometimes he would fly, the jet he would fly would be flown over the Apple Appalachian Mountains. And um, his co-pilot noticed, after they made the flight many, many different times, the pilot noticed that, uh, the co-pilot noticed that the pilot, when they would come over one particular part of the Appalachian Mountains, that the pilot would intently look down into the mountains in that specific region. Every time they would pass over and it was clear, he would look down very intently at a very specific spot. And finally, the co-pilot on one flight asked the pilot, uh, you know, what is so unique about this one particular part of the Appalachian Mountains? They're beautiful. If you've ever flown over them, you, you find yourself, I always do, peering out, looking, straining to see what I can see. And the pilot told the co-pilot, he said, well... He said, when I was a child, I used to live in that area, and I used to fish down there in a small stream. And when I was a child and I was fishing down there on that small stream, I would watch the planes go over. And while the planes were going over, I was sitting down there fishing. I would wish that I wasn't fishing, but that I was a pilot of a plane. He said, now I fly over the fishing spot, and I look down at the stream and wish that I wasn't flying, but that I was fishing. And uh You know, it's true, Uh, I think, in our lives, especially as a child, I can remember I wanted to grow up so fast, and uh, I wanted to be an adult, you know, I wanted to be a man, I wanted all that came with being a man, and uh, you know, we all do grow up as time goes along, sometimes we find ourselves looking at other things and wishing that we just had that, and, and we're not content with what we do have. In Philippians chapter four, the Apostle Paul speaks to us about a matter uh, specifically about contentment. And he makes a very amazing statement. And I'm going to keep it simple this afternoon for our mind's sake with all the digestion that's taking place right now. But it's a it's an incredible truth. Um, It could be a life changing truth. Truth is life changing. But uh, there are many people who are saved who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Heaven is their home. That's secure. Christ lives in them. And yet, people who are very, very miserable, very, very sad, uh, maybe they have a complaining spirit. Just always, it just comes up regularly. I don't say always, not every day, not every moment of the day, but it comes up often in in their, maybe their uh, facial expressions. They're just... Sad because their life isn't the way they want it to be. Or sometimes they are pouty-faced, you know. Maybe they're they're even angry. Um, But the the root cause for that angry look, unkind words, um, just a sullenness, a sadness, a weariness day after day after day, is discontentment, never thankful, unthankful for the color of the bedroom, unthankful the car we drive, unthankful for the house we live in, unthankful for the job we have or the pay that we make, with the job that we have, sometimes unthankful for the spouse that we have, sometimes unthankful for the parents we have, pastors we have, the church we have, you This is getting wearisome. I'm going to stop. And it is wearisome, and that's the point. Uh, All of us and everybody who's ever lived on the face of the earth, no one has ever lived a life completely at ease without discontentment. Um, Look at our passage, would you? Verse number 11, Philippians 4, verse 11, it says this. Paul writing, he says, Not that I speak in respect of want. He said, I'm not asking you for anything, church. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. That means to humiliate or to bring low. And I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Let's pray. And as we do, ask yourself the question, am I content? Am I content? Being content will bring you peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I ask, as we look at this passage, a short few verses, some that we're very familiar with, and yet... Um, all of us, every one of us in this room at times struggles with discontentment. Lord, some of us are even characterized by it. It's who we are, always wanting what we don't have, and so very, very miserable because of it. Teach us, I pray, this morning on this matter, and help us, I pray, as a church to be content. Help us to see it as your will, but also, Lord, help us to learn it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I ask you to ask yourself the question, are you a content person? Uh, Some of us are more content by nature. I know people like this. Um, You can pretty much throw anything at them, and they just kind of go with the flow. Very positive in their attitude. Um, I've never met anyone who's always content. But I have met people that are characterized by contentment. And I've also met people and have at times in my own life been a person who is not content. Very, very miserable to be discontent. It's very sad to be discontent. The word content means rest. It means rest or quietness of the mind in the present condition. It means satisfaction, which holds the mind in peace. to Be satisfied. It's like you get done with a meal, Um I don't know what you brought for the meal today, but let's say you get done with that meal, your favorite meal. Maybe it's lasagna. You know, you got the bread that your wife makes is just like perfect to go with it. It's got to have a salad, Pastor Burden. At least if I'm going to have it, a little bit of salad somewhere in the meal. I don't need anything else. But when it's all said and done, you just kind of you're done and. You're just satisfied. Sometimes I'll finish a meal and Cindy will say, would you like some dessert? She's getting it out for the children and I'll say, you know what? I don't want any dessert. I'm, I'm good. I am satisfied. And Some of you say, what? No, give me the dessert first, you know, but we're all different in that way. But to be satisfied with what you have. Um, and that's the idea of contentment. The word contentment also has the idea of to restrain, to restraining, restraining of further desires. Have you ever found yourself and you're in that situation, and you you look you look outside of your situation, and you see something that if you were there, wow, you would be. Then you would be satisfied if you were there, not where you're at, but where they're at. That person's marriage. Um, that person's house. That person's income. You know, sometimes children at school. In school, you've got you've got kids that are cool, and then you got kids that maybe not as cool, and kids that are lesser cool, or you know you have children who have more stuff and children who have less stuff, and sometimes you you know people are not kind, and you can find yourself very upset because you're not a part of that group. It's all it's all a part of this idea of discontent. And here's the thing about contentment and discontentment everybody in this room at times struggles with discontentment whether you're a seven-year-old girl or a 90-year-old man it doesn't matter and and even if we let's say we all continue to get big pay raises and for some of us at least in genesee county the goal seems to be to work less but get more money in the process, let's say we could somehow finagle our way into a situation like that. Even the person who is the who has multi is, is a multi-millionaire with multiple cars and multiple garages. Men and women who have fame and glory and honor of other people still find themselves discontent. Athletes who are gifted way beyond any of us, still find themselves to be discontent and unsatisfied and not having rest. And it really is a miserable, miserable place to be. Paul's writing to this church, these group of believers in Philippi, and he tells them, I'm not asking you for anything. There's something you need to know. I have learned to be content. You know that? This is becoming a goal of mine for my children. Much of my life at times, I have been robbed of joy and peace and satisfaction because of the sin of discontent. It's so sad, so miserable. But I can tell you, and I was thinking about this just yesterday about my own children. I want to teach my children. I want to help them learn to be content. Now, they're going to have to learn. The Lord's going to have to teach them. And they're not going to learn it before they're 10 or 20. It's going to be a lesson they're going to have to learn again and again and again. They're going to have to grow in it. But as a parent, I want to teach my child, my children how to be content. Because it will save them of so much grief in their lives as they grow older. And it's something that you and I can learn. Um, so are you content are you content? Contentment is something that easily eludes us in our present society. In America, the average length of a marriage is eight years. Why? Because of discontentment. The average person in America moves every three years. Most jobs less, uh, last less than that. And Why? Because there's a lack of contentment. There's a, there's a lack of contentment with the weather. We, get, we can be discontent about the weather, right? With our jobs, with our spouses, with our neighbors... With the president, with our pastors, our churches, and just about everything else under the sun we can be discontent with. So I want to give you two thoughts about contentment this morning. Number one, a contented person is satisfied with what God has provided. A contented person is satisfied with what God has provided. satisfied. You know, it makes me think I just want to go sit down. I have a big chair at home. It's like it's it. you don't sink way down in it. You know, it doesn't swallow you up. It, it's firm enough, but it's big enough. I can actually sit in it with my arms on either side. Sometimes I spin around and sit sideways with my legs going over one side and put a pillow behind my head. The other day I fell asleep like that. Um, Cindy was like, are you okay? I just was kind of hanging there asleep. I was just out of it. But that it's that kind of a chair. You know, you just you sit down and it doesn't matter what's going on. There's <sighs> the day. I'm, I'm satisfied. A nice thing of lasagna before that would really go well. Um, but satisfied. I have everything that I need. A contented person is satisfied with what God has provided. Look again at verse 11 and 12. He says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. Whatever condition I'm in, I've learned to be content. Verse 12. I know I understand. I know I understand. I can grasp this both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul says I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content with little we might think that it was easy for the Apostle Paul to be content, right? I mean, after all, he was a respected Christian. Um, he was an apostle. Um, uh, he was a, an intellectual man. He, he was a, uh, he could think. There was a lot of things the Apostle Paul could do. Uh, he was an author. He was a per- had many friends. People loved him, and he loved other people. We might think at first the Apostle Paul had it made. And so it would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to be content. I want to read you from a portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 24. I'll read several verses here. This is about Paul's life. He says this, of the Jews, five times received I 40 strikes, save one. So five times the Apostle Paul was beaten, 39 times. Thrice, he says, three times was I beaten with rods. Once, Paul says, I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. I'll stop there. So I'm not going to feel, I think Paul had it worse than any of us, is what I'm saying. If we're going to measure or compare things like that. I think it would have been very easy for Paul to be discontent with his circumstances. Again, I want to ask you, are you content? Are you satisfied with what God has entrusted into your care? Are you satisfied with your husband? Are you satisfied with your wife? Are you satisfied if God has taken your husband or your wife home to be with him? Are you satisfied with your parents? Are you satisfied with your job? Are you satisfied with your income? And you know, frankly, for most of us here, and the list could go on and on and on, when we think about contentment, like sitting down in that big chair in my family room, satisfied. Some of the, from the list I just went through, That picture of being satisfied in one of those conditions is is the furthest thing from our minds. Anything but satisfied. But again, I notice this not only in adults, but I also notice it in children. Not thankful for the clothes we have. This is all I have. So and so has. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, discontentment knows no bounds. And it destroys, it leads us down a path of absolute destruction and misery. So I think it would have been logical for Paul to wish for something else, don't you? A couple less shipwrecks. One less night in the deep. Okay, just one less. That's all I'm asking for. How about I get beaten, but only twice? And instead of five times, how about three? Does it have to be 40 save one? How about just 20? lashes. I mean, at what point does God expect him to learn contentment? At what point are we allowed to just say, you know what? What I'm facing is not right, and I shouldn't have to put up. I shouldn't. Did you hear that? I shouldn't have to put up with this. And some of you could do that better than me. Okay. See, we're all tempted for that. But instead of complaining, Paul says in verse 11, In verse 11 of Philippians 4, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, not long after this, the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and he made this statement. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about that. Godliness, a fear of God that leads to righteousness. Godliness with contentment. Look around. Look at what you have. Look at what you don't have. Look at what is. Look at what's not. I'm not asking you to be dishonest here this afternoon. Just say, you know what? I've got it great. No, some of you don't. In some specific areas, some of you do not have it great. Sometimes there are some really hard things. Sometimes people do go without. The Apostle Paul was beaten. I don't call that having it great. I'm not going to pretend it was. I think it was miserable. But look around at your situation and consider the Lord and how he's working in all of it. And and bottom line is, is our minds can't quite fathom or grasp the totality with which he's working in those situations. And say, Lord, I'm going to be satisfied with what you've brought me to. Contentment and godliness, a fear of God that leads me to do what is right with satisfaction with where God has me, God says, is great gain. Now, to accept that means you and I are going to have to exercise faith. Because if we're just going to look on the outward, if we're just going to look on the surroundings, we're going to give up. That's what's going to happen. You're going to give in to temptation. You're going to try to find, and I'm going to try to find some satisfaction in life. Somehow, I'm just going to grab a handful of happiness while I can, while it's available to me, and it, no matter what. But faith says, and Paul exhorted Timothy, godliness with contentment. Timothy, hear me well. Is great gain. You know what I would say. This the flip is the flip of that is also true. Uh, ungodliness with discontentment will cost you just about everything. Don't throw away your faith for a handful of happiness in a moment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I read from Hebrews 13 this morning. He said, let your conversation be without covetousness. and Be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content with such things as ye have. It's a biblical truth. It's God's instruction to you and to me. Now, he moves. He changes. He he moves us different positions, different jobs. Pay does increase and decrease with time. Our understanding, our health, all changes. All of that changes. But you and I, God's word stands sure, and his commands are true. Be content with such things as ye have. You see, the circumstance is going to change. You understand that? The circumstance is not going to stay the same, but you can please God even in the hardest circumstances. I can please God even in the hardest circumstances while I'm content. Russell Conwell told of an ancient Persian by the name of Ali Hafed, who owned a very large farm that had orchards and grain fields and gardens. Ali was a wealthy and a content man. One day, Ali entertained a guest who told him all about diamonds and how wealthy He would be if he owned a diamond mine. So Ali Hafed went to bed that night, a poor man, because he was discontent. And all Ali could think about was a mine, his own mine, full of diamonds. And so he sold his farm and he searched for the rare stones. He traveled the world over, finally became so poor and so broken and so defeated that Ali Hafed committed suicide. He killed himself. One day, the man who purchased Ali Hafed's farm led his camel into the garden to drink. And as his camel put his nose into the brook, the man saw a flash of light from the sands of the stream. He pulled out a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. And the, the man had discovered the mine of Galconda. You can look it up. It's known as one of the most all time, one of the all time richest diamond mines in the world. Had Ali Hafid remained at home and dug in his own garden, he would have had acres of diamonds instead of experiencing death. And you know, the more we want from a human perspective, the less we have. The more we want peace, the less peace we have. And I don't mean wanting it in a biblical way, but I just want to be rid of my situation so I can have peace. The less you will have, No, if I just had that person in my life, I would be happy. The less happy you will be. If I could just have those friends, those kids liked me at school, I would be happy. That's all I want. I don't care about anything else. My parents can, my dad can pick the clothes I wear to school every day for a year. If I can just have those kids like me, I'll be happy. No, you will not be happy. And you won't be happy if your dad picks out your clothes for a whole year to go to school either. You see what I'm saying? And I guess this is a real burden on my heart for my own children. And not just my own children, but other children within our church. Because sometimes I see our children, you know what, they have so much. They have so much, and yet they're so unhappy. I think part of it is as, is because we as parents have ourselves not learned contentment. I think perhaps our own children are learning from us what it is to be discontent. To have so much and yet be so miserable and call it godliness. Well, Pastor, I'm really close. I'm, I'm right on the verge of contentment. If my husband will just buy me that house or if I can, we, I would be like you don't know how close I am to being completely content. It's just as long as we take that vacation. You're missing the point. You see. Contentment is something we learn. Did you notice that in verse 11? He says, I have learned this is good news, by the way. You know, Jesus warned, he said, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Are you like me? Do you have a list of things that you want to get accomplished on your property? How many of you are like that? You have a list of things that need to be done. And some of these are maintenance things, you know, they got to be done. I hope you're thinking about them. hope you have somewhat of a list. Um, do you ever think about the timetable for replacing your vehicles? Like when you're gonna have to replace your vehicle? What you're gonna buy? You ever think about that? No? Yes? Okay, yeah. We think about that. So there, you know, part of this is common sense, being using our brains that God has given us, planning. But then it it, it crosses over a line from planning within God's structure. And being a good steward, it can cross into the The area of, you know what, I'm unthankful for what I have. And frankly, living there is just so miserable. But the good news is we can learn to be content. Now, Paul is not saying that he is self-dependent or that he's self-sufficient. He's saying that his contentment is in the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter three and verse five says not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. And Paul is basically saying I'll leave it to others if they want to be discontent. But for me, for my part, I have learned by the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the dealings of providence. And I use that term specific on purpose. Pro before videns, video, God's vision before God seeing the future. Paul says, "I'm going to trust in God who is in the future. He is there now, and He is in the present." I'm going to trust that what he has brought into my life is for his glory and for my good. Now we can look at our certain situations and we can say, you know what? If I I could change a couple scenarios out, I'd be happier. I'd have more peace right now. But the Lord sees more than just the present. He actually is in the future and he sees the future. And Paul's saying, I've learned to trust in this. In God's plan, I'm going to be content in every state, is what he's saying. And so I guess a good question for us is, are we learning the lesson of contentment? I have learned. I have learned. That's uh, the language of a good student in school. Mr. Paddock, do your students come up to you often and say, Mr. Paddock, I am learning. And I just love to learn. Do they say that? Occasionally. That's good. That's wonderful. This is the language of a good student. I'm learning in your class. I didn't know this before, but I'm learning it. It's becoming a part of me. I'm thinking this way. You know what? So we're not in Mr. Paddock's class, most of us. But are we learning the lesson of contentment? Or are we in the remedial class of contentment? Some of us are. It's like we've been there our whole lives. Discontentment 101. Please have a seat. You should sit in the front of the class. You know, it's time to learn contentment. Do you want to learn contentment? How many of us would say, I want to learn contentment? Okay, good. I do. You know, and here's the thing. And I ask that question, and you're like, is that a trick question? Because I don't know if I want to have to learn contentment, right? That's the problem. I'm not sure if I want to learn that. Does that mean I'm going to have to be okay with not having something? Hmm. Does that, does that mean I'm going to have to be okay with the way things are? Yeah. I don't want to learn that. So you'd rather be like Ali Hafid. You know, I love that illustration because I do think it's like our lives. He sold what he had, not knowing what he had to find what he longed for, to never find it, to be miserable. What he had was actually everything he had ever longed for. And for some of us, that's like us in our marriage. You say, it's not satisfying me. It's not fulfilling me. We're not yoked well together, and you're looking elsewhere. And you're going to trade everything good that God has provided you with. Exactly what you need, because he knows our needs better than we know our own, for something that is going to cost you everything. Contentment is something we can learn. Look at verse 12. Contentment, how do we learn it? Well, we learn it through the ups and downs of life. Look at verse 12. He says, I know both how to be abased." That means to bring low, to be humiliated. Have you ever been made fun of at school? The other kids, you thought they were making fun of you? Humiliation. Have you ever made bad decisions as an adult? Made a bad purchase and it was humiliating? You had to tell your husband, you bought this. Or you had to tell your wife, I went ahead and did it. And she's like, "Mm-hmm." She's not saying anything though. You know, she's she's choosing to walk in the Spirit, but you're not sure she is. You're like, "Are you, you are you needling me, or are you walking in the Spirit?" I can't tell. Is that the "I told you so" look, or a "Honey, I'm being empathetic, I'm empathizing with you." There's a difference between those two looks. Which one? Are you learning contentment? He says, I know how to be humiliated, abased. I know how to abound, to have more than I know what to do with. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see, contentment can only be learned through the mountaintops of life and the valleys of life. And we need to learn to be content with what God has provided by experiencing the ups and downs of life. Paul had been educated in two schools, one in which he was provided for in an abundant way. And we all have those areas in our life where we have a great deal of abundance. And the other in which he was abased, he was humiliated. And there are some of us here, and you know what? Uh, Some here may lack financially, but your marriage is sweet and it's a haven. You're in two schools, but you need to be content. Others here, your marriage... Is not sweet. It's not a haven. It is a trial. But you have plenty of money. Workplace. You can change, exchange anything, anywhere you want to be. Health. Right? All kinds of scenarios here. But God's using both schools. You're in the class. I'm in the class. Are we learning contentment? Or will we be back next quarter to learn it again? Paul Paul's saying, I have learned it in both of these schools, in abundance and in humiliation, adverse circumstances. And he was having to learn to trust Christ in the days of plenty and in the days of poverty. He had to thank the Lord for the luxuries as well as for the little. And Paul's soul had learned contentment. And God help us to learn it. Look at verse 13. We'll be done. I notice, first of all, a contented person is satisfied with what God has provided. Do not miss learning it. Through the ups and lows of life, the ups and downs of life. Okay? Don't miss it. And then, too, a contented person depends upon the promises of God's power, the promise of God's power. Look at verse 13, how he says it. He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So here's Paul. He's under house arrest. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. He doesn't know if he's going to be executed. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. But he has this peace, the passive understanding, and he has this joy. And he is filled with the Spirit of God. He's content. And how is this possible? Well, he's a contented person who's depending upon the promise of God's power. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, I imagine that everyone here believes that God is powerful. Job 42 says, I know that thou canst do everything, Job said of God. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 37, the Bible says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And many believers believe that God is omnipotent, that God is powerful, that he is able, but are not content. And many of God's children don't have a quietness of mind in their present condition, in their present circumstance. And Paul wasn't complaining, though, here in this passage. He's not complaining about his imprisonment. We don't even find Paul trying to better his circumstance because Paul was depending upon the promise of God's power. The thought literally is this. I'm able to do anything in Christ who empowers me. And Paul is saying that we can be content in any circumstance As long as we are depending upon Jesus Christ in that circumstance. I'm going to say that again. We can be content in any circumstance as long as we are depending upon Christ in that circumstance. You know what I think should be at the forefront, the number one goal in every one of our minds, in every circumstance of our lives? that we would trust the Lord in every circumstance. That ought to be the number one goal for every single one of us. Pastor, I'm a problem solver. I don't have time to trust the Lord. Someone has to take leadership here. I'm not saying you shouldn't try to solve problems and seek wise counsel. But in every situation, our number one priority ought to be, I'm going to trust Christ. Lord, you have brought me into this situation. Lord, you want to grow me to be more like Christ. Lord, you do not make mistakes. You have me here. Help me to trust you. Some of us find ourselves in an adverse situation, and we are willing to deploy all measures to get us out of that situation, and trusting God and Him having His will in our lives is the absolute last thing on our minds. If it even enters our mind at all, nope. It's a red alert. Um, deploy all uh, all things necessary to get me out of the situation. And I have to take. If I have to take a few people out along the way with my words, so be it. Paul says, I have learned and and the way to contentment is I can do all things. I can be content through Christ. You know, we're not wrong to acknowledge our weaknesses, but we are wrong. We fail to completely trust the Lord when we fail to completely trust his power. Whenever God requires us to do anything, we must say with Paul, I can through Christ. You see that? I can through Christ. Through the power of Christ, I can. How often have I failed, I think, in my own life in some endeavor because I've been tempted or I've attempted it in my own strength. We can rely upon the Lord for everything. The saint who is the weakest in himself can be the strongest in Christ. Isaiah 40 and verse 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Through the power of Christ, I can. And what does Paul mean when he says all things? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, all things is not a wish list. If you can't swim, please don't jump into the deep end. Of the pool this summer. Or if you're not a pilot, please don't try to fly a plane. As you quote, I can do all things to Christ which strengtheneth me. Don't do it, all right? Even though I would love to fly a plane. So all things means everything that God asks us to do. What are some things that God has asked us to do? Obey, and we struggle to obey, so we could say, in Christ, I can obey. Okay, what's something else God asks us to do? Witness, okay? Sometimes we're afraid, to open our mouths and speak, we're to give an invitation, but in Christ, I can be a witness that he wants me to be. Somebody else, what does God want us to do? Forgive, but yet forgiveness is the last thing that our flesh wants to do. But in Christ, I can forgive. Somebody else. Love people who are not lovable, maybe who have hurt us or are in the process of hurting us. But in Christ, I can love that person. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you're in a place, you're facing a battle that you cannot win in and of yourself, but it is where God has you. You can do all things through Christ. Which strengtheneth you. Have you ever wondered how Paul accomplished so much while he was in the middle of getting beaten and flogged? Have you ever wondered he's getting shipwrecked? He's being robbed, right? Uh he's uh he's in prison on different occasions for lengths of time. How is it that he got, was able to get everything accomplished that he was able to get accomplished? I mean, don't you think you and I might have been tempted to say, Lord, I want, I would really, in my mind, I want to do some wonderful things for you, but if you could just hold off on some of the beatings, I think I could get more accomplished. Isn't that how we think? Lord, uh, if you would have me not imprisoned, I'm not even asking for the nicest house in Rome, but just a decent house, you know, uh, with plenty of ink and whatever else I need to do writing and And, Lord, you know, my eyes would be, if that that were an issue, that'd be a lot better. I could do so much more for you. That's how we think. Give me better health. Give me a little bit more money. Give me a little more disposable time to serve you. Lord, help all of the relationships within, oh, I don't know, um, three or four generations of me. Help them to love me and adore me and respect everything that I say. And I'll be a powerful witness for you. That's kind of how we think. Perfect health. How how was Paul able to accomplish so much while suffering labors more abundant and stripes above measure and prisons more frequent and facing death often and beaten with rods and stoned and shipwrecked and robbed and hungry and cold? The answer is, through Christ, I can't. But he had to learn contentment. And I got to tell you, that encourages my heart because you know what? I need to learn contentment. I need to learn this. Lord, help me to be content. Lord, teach me through the ups and downs of life. The goal is not the life of ease. The goal is not more income. The goal is not less work. The goal is not to be liked more. Lord, help me to learn contentment. And in Christ, I can. Be content. So, what is God put before you to accomplish that you cannot accomplish without his power? John 15, 5 says, For without me ye can do nothing. And everything that God requires of us, we need to tackle them in Christ's strength. Whatever we need, we need to turn to Christ for his supply. He will be us, he will be to us the power to do what we ought to do, and to be who we ought to be. And to the weak, Jesus Christ is our strength to the ignorant. He is our wisdom to those of us who are lacking courage. He is our courage to the proud. He is our humility. You see, the ability of Christ knows no inability. So why not depend upon him? Colossians 2 says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in it's very simple. The same way you were saved is the same way you and I walk each day in Christ I can. I fear some of us as adults have kind of reverted, maybe fallen into unbelief. Maybe maybe like me, you were saved at an early age as a five-year-old boy, understanding I was a sinner Jesus, God's only son, died on the cross, took all of my sin upon him. And if I will trust in him and ask him to save me, he will save me. He will forgive my sins. He will take me to be with him forever in heaven someday. As a five-year-old boy, that was fairly simple. And yet now as a man, I find myself, Lord, I know you can save anyone. I know you are sufficient for every need. But you know what? I am drowning in discontentment because I will not look to you to deliver me from it. As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The very same way you were saved with that childlike faith is the very same way we overcome contentment or discontentment. In Christ, through Christ, I can, and you can too. So is there anything in your life you're not satisfied with? What is it? Don't say it out loud. What is it? This is awfully close to home. And right now, what I would encourage you to do as you're thinking about that thing or person, what I would encourage you to do is say, Lord, thank you for, and name it. Thank you for this. I'm going to be satisfied with you. Give me the wisdom to make the decisions I need to make. Give me the courage to go through it. Hold me close to you. Strengthen me. But Lord, I know in Christ, in you, I can go through this and bring you glory. But I'm not going to keep sinning against you in discontentment, complaining about it, worrying about it, fretting about it. I'm not going to be sour about it anymore. You have brought it into my life. And so I'm going to accept it from you as a part of your will. And in Christ, I can. Let's pray.